I'm certified ADHD life coach Stuart. Hi. You're about to hear the first of 100 ADHD success stories, and in just a moment, you'll hear from Liz. I titled this podcast ADHD Unshamed because that's our mission. How do we unshame it? One voice at a time. Unhiding leads to unshaming, and it is so liberating. These are your friends, co-workers, and neighbors who have come here to speak openly and courageously about personal stuff they've kept bottled up. Who do I think will be inspired by Liz's ADHD story? A parent who may not believe or be aware of how ADHD presents in children. An ADHD woman who has a baby and is coming to terms with massive new responsibilities and priorities. A couple where one partner has ADHD and what a beautifully nurturing relationship can look like, or an aspiring writer who has the ambition to transform society. I'm very curious to hear what moves you today. I pulled out some of my most powerful moments and I share them with you on the show notes page. Welcome to ADHD Unshamed. Here's Liz. I actually knew I had ADHD when I was like 12 or something, but it was really for me, it was always, it was always represented to me. And I believed that it was was, um, more of an academic issue or whatever. And it was actually kind of played off in my family, like, oh, Elizabeth has problems, you know, that kind of stuff. And so I always knew, but it wasn't until uh, I was probably in my early to mid thirties and I had my son and I had a career and a marriage and a mortgage. And then I was like, Oh, there's a reason why all of this feels like too much. It's almost like I hit a maximum capacity that I could handle. And then it all, and then I was like, Oh, that ADHD thing. So that, so it wasn't totally new to me, but it was almost like something I had to relearn and go back. And you know, the difference between 1992 and I'm going to say like 2013, that's a big difference in what we know about ADHD. So it almost was new. I found, you know, Terry Matlin's book and I read that really quickly. And then I, I think I got Sari Solden's first book, read that really quickly, even though that's a thick one, read that really quickly. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I forgot about this. This is all so relevant. I distinctly remember thinking, huh, I always thought I only needed to deal with this while I was still in school. Now that I'm reading more about this, it seems so obvious. Like it's been obvious this whole time. It was just this process of like, oh, this is why having a baby is so hard for me and running this house. I And people like my mom actually said something to me once, like you have one baby and a dog. Like, what is your problem? There is a lot of, especially with women, there's a lot of, um, starting when we're very young, uh, I'm going to call it masking behaviors. I think it's a result of a lot of different things. It's like school dynamics, social dynamics, gender things. Um, I just think that little girls in particular and adolescent girls, there's a lot of internalized stuff. And you always know you're a little different, but you also know it's not acceptable to out in that um and there are little girls that are you know diagnosed and it usually is because they are they tend to be more impulsive um but 
I do think for a lot of us, even the combined type, the combined presentation is the way you say it. Um, I, I do think that there's this internalizing masking behavior that goes on and we're very well trained in it. And I just think for that reason, it becomes invisible because teachers and parents and doctors and whoever, friends even, don't necessarily, especially younger, don't necessarily, they don't have anything to look for. There's nothing that looks off in these girls, at least not to somebody who is not educated about it. So it does become invisible. I wish I wish I would have kept up with this over the years. It was more like that. It was more like, why did I let this go for so long? I would say it was like a two-year period of time where I just read all the things on the internet. And I noticed, you know, there was a lot of stuff on the internet even then, but most of it was coming from, I'm going to say therapists and doctors. So I just sort of threw myself back into it and knew almost immediately that I was going to have to do something. Like just... (laughs) There was no way around it. I remember thinking, oh my gosh, these are all basically doctors or therapists or whatever. And I was just like, it's not that I don't appreciate them. I actually really do. (laughs) I was like, but I just want, isn't there anyone like me? Like just a normal person who wants to talk about this stuff and talk about it not from that clinical perspective. And so I just started writing about what I'd already read and learned my thoughts on what I'd already read and learned. I did some book review stuff. I think that's how it initially got noticed was I was reviewing books. <laughs> and like I heard from Terry Matlin because I reviewed her book. Well, um, I'm gonna write a book. And at first I was gonna write a book on motherhood and then an ADHD. And then when I gave them my writing sample, this is a huge compliment, they came back and they said, hey, <laughs> since you have this voice and it's so different from other stuff would you want to just write a more broad-based book about adhd women and i at first i was like no like because in my mind that's been done it's been done and people that i really respect and love have done it and i was just like no i'm not gonna what are you talking about but you know the more people i talk to i realize that what i am doing is a little different so it is going to be a book about you know um women with ADHD, but I'm going to do, I think it might be a little different than what people are used to in the sense that I love telling stories. So I want to tell stories from within my community. You know, I reach out to randos all the time. Randos, I call them. I reach out to people that don't even know me all the time, like on social media or whatever. And I'm just like, Hey, you have a really interesting, you want to talk about this? And you know, so I'm going to tell stories. I mean, I'll share parts of my own story, but it's not a memoir. And I want to, I really am interested in, in presenting both the medical model, all that we've learned about ADHD, everything from the prefrontal cortex and the neurochemicals and the brain development, actually, and gender and hormones. And I want to talk about that medical stuff, but I also want to talk about what it's like to grow up assigned female or to identify as female and what that means and why the expectations are different and why so many of us get lost. And we've had this huge wave, tidal wave of late in life women being diagnosed. Um, And I wanna do this weird walk in the line there of talking about the medical stuff, but also talking about culture and capitalism and sociology. And yeah, I'm, I'm trying to do a lot for somebody without a PhD. 
So you do a lot of writing. It seems like you enjoy it. I do. I think maybe I like it because it's a solitary thing because I can research and writing helps me clarify my thinking and my position on things. And I communicate better in writing probably than I do (laughs) speaking. I mean, I do okay, but I think that's my strength. In a lot of ways, you know, writing let me put my stuff out into the world without fear of like reprisal or something. So yes, I do like writing. ADHD is one of those weird things, especially when you're um, diagnosed later in life. It's like, once you see it, you can't unsee it. So people have this way of sort of, in their mind, it's like a really bad video. Remember those old video rewinders that you could watch it, like on the screen? I always think of it like when people find out when they're you know 55 years old, it's like their mind does that reversal, that like backing up and you're watching all this stuff. And I think there is this thing where, and I've seen it go a couple different ways. There is this thing where you look back at all of it and you're like, I always had these things in my mind. It was so internal. And I always had these things that I knew were different about me, but I knew I couldn't like come out with it. And then a lot of times what happens over many years is a lot of us end up you know, diagnosed with anxiety or depression or sometimes even bipolar disorder or like all different things that all as a result of the internalization, it's like we have these externalized um, behaviors and and things that are diagnosable and no one ever thinks to test for ADHD. And there is this like untangling, you can call it unraveling maybe, but there is this thing that happens. Um, And Sari Solden and Dr. Michelle Frank also wrote about this in their, in the second book that Sari did. There is an untangling that happens. Like what parts of me are real? What parts of me have I been suppressing and hiding from the whole world? What parts of me that I put out there are real and are me and are legitimate? And what am I, like, have I been faking it this whole time? Am I an imposter in my life? Like, (laughs) there's all these weird identity things that happen. And so, yes, I guess part of, especially with what we've learned in the last even 10 years about women and girls, um, I would say, yes, like part of it is bringing some of that to light. Part of it is also just holding space for people when they do that reversal in their mind, you know, and being like, yep, yeah, yeah, it sucks. It can be really heartbreaking for people. They just feel like they have regrets. They've made mistakes. They made bad decisions. That's something that comes up a lot. I've made so many bad decisions. Um, I've even met some women that are pretty angry, like, I know a couple people who have, you know, maybe asked their parents, like, did you, when I was in school, did you never notice anything was going on, you know? And sometimes the parents will say, no, you were a good kid. Of course you were, of course you were. And smart girls, really smart girls, high IQ girls, and there's a lot of us hide things so well. Um, I actually met one person, maybe more than one, but one that I can think of right now who her parents told her, you know, yes, you know what? The school psychologist told us that there was, you had this thing, but we didn't think it was that important. And she was really angry when her parents revealed that to her because they had never mentioned it. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I let her be angry. You know, I was just like, I'm so sorry. Is there a little message you want to build in there for a mom who has a child with ADHD about that transparency communication level of openness about about it? Well, I've always found it easier for my child to 
to frame it in terms of, um, I always say things like, and I've been doing this since he was about six or seven years old. I'll say, you know, everybody in the world has a unique brain and there is no perfect functioning, wonderful brain. We all have different brains. You have a special kind of brain and I have a special kind of brain. And some of it, some of it we have in common. Some things are different and unique to you and some things are different and unique to me. And I've always framed it, especially for him. And um, well, even my, like my nieces and nephews, like I'll say, we all have special brains. And some of us, like we have certain skills that we are very strong in and we have things that are hard for us. And it doesn't mean anything about your intelligence or whatever. It just means certain things your brain is better at. You know, and and even when he, my, my son will say things to me because my son is sort of, um, he's quite, I guess they would call him like twice exceptional. He's super advanced in certain things, but then in other things, he seems very immature and has trouble understanding. And like one of the things when he comes home and says to me, you know, they're doing something in reading or writing class and he'll say, you know, so-and-so just uh, like they were taking too long. I was like, let's just finish this and do this project, you know? And, and I said, and I knew person he was talking about. And I said, you know, um, not everybody is good at reading like you are. Not everybody is, you know, 11 and reading it on like a 12th grade level. I said, some people really struggle with this. You pull meaning out of the things you read. Some people don't do that. So maybe you should be helpful. What is it that just gives you that ah, jumps out of your skin that you just don't enjoy you're not good at well i have lots of them little things like math i don't love math i just don't i don't like planning a project i don't even like planning a vacation which should be enjoyable you know like to plan your vacation should be enjoyable to me it just feels like too much and I will sort of avoid, you know, making plans. I will avoid committing to like the day we're going to leave or, and my husband will, will say these things like um, another, another good one is when you're planning a project, like I have a closet, which I'm not going to show you, but it's over here in this side of the room. And I had taken the doors off it like years ago and it's exploding. And my husband has been telling me for, gosh, I don't know, maybe a year that he wants to build a, another closet system in here and make this more usable instead of everything exploding out into the room. And he has shown me like ideas and he's done all the measuring and I will not do it. I will not do it because the idea of having to clean out what's there right now is too much for me. And I keep telling him, this is my office. I can't, I can't spend two weeks with it torn apart. He's like, it'll take two days. It's not going to take, it's not going to take two weeks. And I just, I don't believe him. And so I've been putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. And it's funny because the truth of the matter is he'll do the hard part. I just have to do the clean out the mess, sort through it, and then let him install everything. And then I have to put it all back. I don't want to do that either. So he will plan projects. I hate to say this, but almost for me and trips and vacations and things that I can't, I can't do. I can't plan a sequence of events. As a partner, he's so calm and kind and interested and understanding about the whole thing that yes, we do have a language around it. And a lot of times it's more me feeling free, because I think I grew up in an environment where I wasn't as free, to say, I'm not comfortable with this. This feels like a lot, I can't do it. Um, and he'll be like, okay. And sometimes he'll break down the steps for me. Like he will <laughs> he'll say, well, 
Well, you could, like as a first thing, you could do this. And what he usually ends up doing now is when it's really something that I'm really, I'm resisting and I won't start, a lot of times he ends up doing it with me. Um, and he doesn't always like help me, but if he stays in the room with me, you know, people talk about body doubling. If he stays in the room with me so that as I get frustrated, I can be like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what to do with this thing. You know, like he'll be like, okay. <laughs> like, you know, um, and he, that way I can't get sidetracked too. Yeah. like leave the room to do something else and then forget to come, like just yeah. never come back. Cause I do that kind of stuff too. Yeah. So, um, he actually, a lot of the time he ends up just sort of partnering with me, but he's never directive about it. And he always asks permission. Like he'll say, you know, are, are you asking me for help and advice or are you just, you're just complaining? Like, do you just want me to listen? Like what? He provides a lot of like, I'm going to say executive function things that he's just really good at and are easy for him that he knows I struggle with. And there are things that I'm better at than he is. And he acknowledges that too. ADHD is about energy management as much as it's about like symptom management. We all have a finite amount of energy in a day. And part of where that energy just like leaks is when we try to make in the moment decisions and priority prioritize. And for us, that's really hard. It takes a lot of mental energy. If you've got a lot of options about what you could do and a lot of pressure on you from different angles, for some of us, it can become debilitating. And so I have started basically actively, I usually do it in the morning, but I sort of think about it in the morning when I'm caffeinating to get myself awake. It takes me a while to wake up. My brain's very slow in the morning and I will, I will plan my days and I'll be like, where is my energy? I need to gauge that first. What is like important and will have negative consequences if I do not do it? <laughs> is there anything like that? If there's not, awesome. But if there is, what are, what are those things? Did I check the calendar? My husband's very good also about keeping, he, he lets, it's so ugly, but he lets me keep a giant like wall calendar because things have to be big for me to like take them seriously and up in my face. It can't be like a little pop-up in my brow. No, no, it has, it has to be near the refrigerator because I eat a lot, whatever. I do three things a day. There are days I only do two because whatever I was doing was so mentally taxing, I'm just not able to. And I, I sort of bucket my life, you know, there's home and family stuff and there's personal and self-care stuff. And then there's writing and career and community stuff. And I just look at what, what could have negative consequences. And if there's nothing like that, then I'm like, okay, so, okay. I feel like today should be a family and work day. You know, and I just, I, I very specifically decide so that in the middle of the day, I'm not like spinning, what, what's next? What am I supposed to be doing? Did I forget to do something? What was it? Like, I just make those decisions ahead of time. And I feel like it saves me so much energy and it works. If I was in that room with your, with your husband, with your inner circle, your friends, family, whoever it may be, and I asked them to describe Liz, what words would they use? I have no idea. My family of origin is not the most uh, complimentary of me. I think they would say very different things than my husband would say. Like, I think my husband, he thinks that I'm very funny. He's always thought when I first met him that I was entertaining and sort of funny. 
he does laugh about it and say that I can go from here to there, to there, to there, to there. He always tells people that I'm a good mom. And my husband traveled for many years of our marriage, traveled like five days out of the week. So, you know, I always kept the house going. I took out the recyclables when I was supposed to, I, you know, held down the fort. So I think he would tell you that I'm a great mom. I'm really good at like, he thinks I'm good at taking care of the house, which is hilarious because I'm not. Like he would probably say all positive things about me. He thinks I'm super smart. He always thinks I'm super smart. And that's why our kid is super smart. <laughs> that's what he says. He does knock on the door if I'm really like in one of those hyper-focused sort of like, he'll knock on the door and be like, are we are we having dinner as a family tonight? You know? And I'll be like, oh yeah, we are. Thank you. Mm-hmm. What would be your dream come true that a reader of your book walks away with? Hmm, no one's ever asked me that. I just want people to feel seen, not um, talked to, like... And like I said, I very much respect all those that came before me that have the letters behind their names. But instead of teaching, so to speak, I just want people to feel seen and feel like maybe one of the pe- one of the stories in the book like sounds like something from their life. And that it's okay, like that two things could be true at once. Like you can have ADHD and you can also be a really awesome, you know, partner and mother or whatever your thing is. Um, yeah, like it's okay to live a life where there is a gray. And I think a lot of us live to an extreme in one way or the other. Life is great or life is terrible. And I just, you know, learning to surf that and see the gray and be flexible about the way you view yourself and your identity and who you are and what ADHD is and what it means. And I just want to show people that there's, I don't know, there's flexibility there. It's not all black and white, good or bad. I've been thinking a lot about how with ADHD, we can get really stuck. We can get really stuck. And the people use that word actually a lot, clients do. Um, We can get really stuck in the now, in patterns of our own behavior and even patterns in the way we think about ourselves, about others, about our work, about whatever. And I just think we all need to think more about how we can be flexible, how we can be adaptable. So when it feels like the world is on fire, you know? Like if we can learn to try to be more adaptable, to look at things from a different perspective maybe, or to ask yourself like, am I being really black and white here? Like, am I being really like, this is terrible? Let's look for more nuance and things instead of jumping. And I know that's difficult for a lot of us. We don't have the pause button, Um, but flexibility is my big theme right now. Dear listeners, hey, this is Stuart popping in here to let you know that there's going to be a hard edit coming up. In other words, there were these two questions I didn't ask Liz during our first conversation. And I did go back to Liz. I said, hey, would you mind answering these? And she sent me a voice memo. And she did. Basically, they're both time travel questions. Sometimes it's fun to play make-believe. And I asked Liz, if you could go back in time, what would you tell the younger you? And the follow-up to that would be if you could go forward in time, if you could go into the future and ask future Liz a question, what would it be? Okay, so if I could travel back in time and talk to the younger Liz, I think 
in my mind, I immediately go to my teen years and maybe my college years. Um, I think what I would say is that you know yourself better than anyone else. Um, when people tell you who you are, what you're capable of, what you stand for, you know, what you deserve, um, and who you owe gratitude to, um, try not to take all of that to heart because you will figure it all out and it will be fine. And in terms of ADHD, it is not going to be, um, it is not going to be the barrier to you doing the things you want to do. Yes, you will have to figure it out. You will have to build a toolbox, so to speak, and you will have to figure out how to do things your way. And sometimes it will take you longer and it will feel like everyone else is moving faster. But in the end, if you just keep moving forward, it's going to be fine. Like, you know you. Don't, don't buckle under pressure from other people. If I were traveling forward in time to the future, Liz, I think I would ask myself why I spent so much time uh, frozen with fear. Um, you know, what was the purpose of me waiting around, holding back, not saying what I was thinking, not putting my work and my think, my thoughts and everything out into the world? Like, what was the point of all that fear? Because nothing terrible ever happened. And um, I would, I don't know. I, I don't know if I would even ask the question or if I would just be like, hey, you know, I'm glad that you persisted, even though you were scared shitless the entire time. It took you longer, but you did the thing. Thank you, Liz, for sharing and unshaming your ADHD by shining light on some of your highs and lows and demonstrating your remarkable flexibility. You've done a great deal of reflection embracing some new direction. And today you have a very clear intention. So we all wish you super success with your book. Books have inspired your growth and I have no doubt your words of wisdom will bring hope to the little girls filled with energy and curiosity, to the young ADHDers figuring out just how to make it through school fearful of life without a mask, to the young moms sorting through complications and complexities, and the tidal wave of late-diagnosed women making sense of their past and bravely facing the present through a liberating new lens. On behalf of our listeners, I have an answer to the question you asked. Isn't there anyone like me? Yes. And you, Liz, have given us all hope. I've curated some quotes that especially moved me. You can see them on ADHDunshamed.com. What moved you? Do share, please. I'd really love to hear from you, whether it's on Instagram or Facebook or even a direct message. I'm ADHD Life Coach Stuart. This is ADHD Unshamed. May you live life happily ever after. See you next time.